Oh, let's get it. Monday, March 1st, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a great week outside of podcast land. Taxes should be done here in the Iskra household by this time, by this time this episode drops. So I'm excited for that. Before we get into our normal routine here at Born the Battle, uh, got a couple things to uh, to let, to bring you in, to clue you in on first. Uh, first one is, yes, we did lock in Secretary McDonough for a future episode of Born the Battle. So again, if you have a question on overarching policy, on anything big picture wise at the VA that you want me to ask the secretary, please email me by uh, heck, as soon as you hear this, to podcast at va.gov. Email me your question. Uh, got a sh- quick turnaround to make this happen. And if you get it to me in time, I will ask the secretary. Got a few that already came in. I'm just looking for one or two more. Also recently, the Undersecretary for the Veterans Health Administration, Dr. Stone, recently testified on Capitol Hill to the House Appropriations Committee's Subcommittee on Military Construction, Veterans Affairs, and Related Agencies about the department's COVID-19 response. And he had a couple of different comments that I thought were interesting and that I wanted to share with you. Uh, these, you know, they're, they're, they're two comments put together uh, to, I think, give you a good picture of how, of what the committee discussed. So without further ado, here they are. And because of the hard work of researchers who developed the vaccine with the substantial contributions from the VA research community, as well as the specialists in logistics and pharmacy that are getting the vaccines distributed and prepared as quickly as possible to our nearly 300 vaccination sites, VA has administered over 1.3 million doses of vaccine to veterans thus far. And over 1 million veterans have received their first dose. We've also vaccinated more than 275,000 VA employees, most of whom are frontline healthcare workers. Finally, we've vaccinated nearly 10,000 essential public-facing employees of other federal agencies. With the current limited supply of vaccine, we remain focused on vaccinating the most vulnerable veterans that are enrolled in VA healthcare. Although we would like to start vaccinating a broader group of veterans now, we do not yet have the supply to do that. But as supply increases, we are ready. VA has built a system with substantial capacity to deliver vaccine well beyond our current supply throughout the country. In fact, we are currently delivering virtually all of the doses that we receive each week within days of receiving it. Throughout this pandemic, we've worked hard to simultaneously provide VA patients with the best possible care for COVID-19 and their other medical needs. In communities of color, uh, we're actually exceeding what we are in the white population of America. Uh, And I'm really pleased at how uh, black and Hispanic veterans uh, are, uh, are accepting the vaccine across the nation. Later on and throughout the testimony, Dr. Stone uh, then lays out where current inequities do lie are actually urban versus rural and hyper-rural communities. 
and the ways that the health administration is currently looking to mitigate uh, reaching out to those rural veterans. To listen to the entire testimony, you can go to the House Appropriations Committee's YouTube page. It's right there. Find it. Click play. Received a couple ratings, and even though I can't see it on our computers or on our apps uh, here in the United States, we have one review uh, as one came in from Norway. And you can apparently only see this on Norway's version of Apple Podcasts. I don't know. I saw it last week in another app that I track. Uh, I've been waiting for it to post on Apple Podcasts, but it never has posted. So I'm assuming that you can only see it on Norway's ISP. Anyways, the review comes in from Justin G.Y. Five stars. Great info. This program gives veterans good information needed for a far too complex agency. Hopefully the VA starts working to leverage other technologies to make filling paperwork and submit paperwork via secure sites. Uh, I completely understand your sentiment, Justin. Uh, When a government agency and or a Fortune 500 company gets to a certain level, uh, a certain size, there's a lot of stuff that goes unnoticed or gets lost in the shuffle. And again, it happens with so many companies, uh, so many large companies, and you have to look at the VA and take it for what it is, which is the largest healthcare provider in the country. And trust me, I hate it when we see a negative experience for a veteran at a VA facility or in the VA system, much like we all hated seeing any negative experiences in our respective services happening to another Marine, sailor, soldier, or airman, or coastie. And when something happens, I do want to see accountability. I do want to see rectifications to get it fixed. Um, whether it's benefits, healthcare, or a cemetery, nobody wants to see a veteran have a negative experience here at the VA. Nobody. Absolutely no one. And if something does happen, we don't want to see it get repeated either. We want the problem identified and fixed. I mean, many of us in the trenches here at the VA are veterans ourselves. Um, my mission through the episodes like last week's benefits breakdown episode is to wade through all of that and to navigate through what I can and to report back to you, the listener. And, and I don't know anything about sites being not secure. All I know, Justin, is that wherever you sent your review in from, it was pretty secure because I still can't see it anywhere in my office other than one app that tracks like global reviews. So good job there. Um, Appreciate the review. Uh, As always, I appreciate the feedback every week. If you're so inclined, please feel free to leave a review just like Justin did on Apple Podcasts. It's a good way to communicate directly with our podcast here and help get Born the Battle recognized by more veterans in podcast land at the same time. News releases. I've got one Real news release this week for you. It's about a change in how muscular, skeletal, and muscle injuries are rated for veterans' disability compensation. That is huge. So huge that our digital team in our office wrote up a blog for it on blogs.va.gov that does a bit of a deeper dive on that subject about the changes and and why it's important. You'll find it at Vantage Point. Just go to blogs.va.gov. And if it's still not on the main page, just type in some keywords in the search bar uh, that's on Vantage Point. 
like muscular skeletal and or disability rating and you'll find it. Okay. And the news release itself, it says for immediate release, the muscular skeletal and muscle injuries portion of the department of veterans affairs, VA schedule for date, VA schedule for ratings disability, otherwise known as VASR D has been revised to reflect updated medical information used to assess veterans medical records and determine their VA disability rating. The revision effective February 7th ensures that this portion of the VA schedule for ratings disability uses current medical terminology by removing obsolete conditions, clarifying ambiguities, and providing detailed and updated criteria for the evaluation of muscular, skeletal, and muscle injury disabilities, including adding conditions that previously did not have diagnostic codes. Claims for musculoskeletal and or muscle injury conditions adjudicated after February 7th of this year, but were pending on the effective date, will be considered under both the old and new rating criteria. And whichever criteria is more favorable to the veteran, it will be applied. Claims filed on or after the effective date will be rated under the new criteria. To learn more about the complete list of updates, Go to benefits.va.gov forward slash warms. That's W A R M S forward slash book C B O O K C dot A S P. So again, benefits.va.gov forward slash warms forward slash book C dot A S P. And you can find the codes and write-ups on every recognized disability in the VA's schedule for rating disabilities. So the big rating, it's basically, it's the big rating disability book. In addition, veterans with questions regarding this VA schedule for ratings disability update may contact VA directly at 1-800-827-1000. All right, as of this drop it is the first day of women's history month and i want to introduce you to an amazing female veteran she went to west point where she was on the basketball team she's an army combat wounded veteran amputee she then interned on capitol hill here in dc before starting working for darpa like the advanced research really cool stuff and is now the ceo of Half Acre and Associates with over 600 employees and over half of those employees are veterans. She's been featured in Inc., HBO, CNN, CBS, and was recently recognized as one of the top 10 healthcare execs to watch in 2020 for her company's work in machine learning, which I wish I would have done a better look into because machine learning has ties to some of our previous guests like Microsoft's Danny Chung and Oplines Alex Caffrey. I digress. Without further ado, I bring to you Army veteran Don Halfaker. Enjoy. You know, I got to tell you, the first time that I, I've, this is the first time I've interviewed anybody in person in almost a year. I think it was, uh, it was Don, Darlene Iskra. No relation whatsoever but she was the first uh, woman to ever command a ship in the Navy. Oh, wow. And so I was like, I, I, I mean, my last name is Iskra. I, I have to interview her. 
and she came from Seattle. And I'm from Seattle myself. So oh, like, no kidding. Yeah. So if you actually look into that episode, it's like, are we related? Are we not? And we, we kind of <laughs> went down that path a little bit. But uh, but no, this is the first interview I've had since since then. Wow. Like in person. I think that was March. Yeah. It's crazy. Times of COVID. Times of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but we're six feet away. We're making it happen. Um, you know, Don, the first thing I want to ask is, and it's the first question I ask every guest here on Born the Battle is, when did you know that military service was the next step in, step in your path? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it happened pretty quickly. I um, I was in high school. I was a basketball player um, and was was fortunate enough to be to be just good enough, not great, but uh, to be recruited by a few different schools. And that's one, pretty good. Well, you know, it was. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we're not talking like Georgetown or something, right? I was, you know, but I, I did get recruited, and so as part of the NCAA, you know, kind of recruiting process, you can do five what they call official paid visits to these schools, and so. Um, one of the schools that was recruiting me was, was West Point. And, and I wasn't really familiar with the academies. I grew mm. up in San Diego, California, Navy town. Right. So I was, you know, everyone was like, why are you, why are you, you know, looking at the army? And so, so anyway, I decided that I wanted to go check it out. And it was the first school, first school I went to and, um, quite frankly, fell in love with it when I, when I saw it. I mean, I it's can only imagine beautiful campus. Yeah. And really, I think what struck me were the people there and, and talking to the other cadets and just really recognizing that they had a sense of purpose. There was something meaningful about what they were doing and why they were doing it. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this, this is, this is a fit. This feels like the right place for me. And so I, I never looked back. What position did you play? I was a guard, so sort right. of a shooting guard mostly um, that didn't shoot great, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I shoot. tried. You shot well enough to get to college. That's uh, I mean, I, I didn't even make the JV team in high school, so you know, <laughs> I turned to wrestling. So what years did you go? So I went off in 97, graduated from my high school, uh, reported to West Point, what they call R-Day, reception day, um, in, I don't know, June of, uh, probably June of, uh, yeah, June of 97. And I graduated in 2001, just a couple months before 9-11. Oh, so you were still going through your, your, your school training. I was, yes. I was going through my training. We were out in the field, so we didn't really hear the news right away. And then sort of somehow started to make its way out to us. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Absolutely. Everything changed overnight. Absolutely. Uh, pivoting back to, to West Point, um, I did interview Mike Irwin. And I did listen to your interview on Eagle Nation and I didn't know you were his platoon leader. Is that what it was? I think, yeah, I was his squad leader. Um, and, you know, it's funny because like I was probably not the greatest squad leader. I was what they call like a core squad athlete at West Point, you know, because I was playing basketball. Yeah. So I wasn't always around a lot. And so I was kind of embarrassed. Like Mike's like, yeah, you were my squad leader. I'm like, was I? I'm like, <laughs> was that terrible? He's like, I don't know. You were fine. You were fine. I was like, okay. And, you know, of course, Mike was great. So he, you know, he stayed out of trouble. I used core squad as well. So he stayed out of trouble. Yeah. He came, he came out and uh, came out to the VA and uh, last year, I think. And we, it's in the archives. If you look at the Born the Battle archives. But he talked about Team REW being what he's doing over there and all that good stuff that they're doing. So if you get a chance and, you know, in the time of COVID, uh, it's a good it's a good episode to check out. I sure will. Um, Mike's a great guy. I love it. Love his work. Yep, absolutely. Um, Okay, so military police officer, South Korea, Kuwait, Iraq and Iraq in 2004, uh, you went on patrol. Uh, You were wounded during a combat patrol, Purple Heart and a Bronze Star. Um, Is that a day? that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, like you said, I was, I was, uh, on a routine patrol. We were, um, you know, required to kind of patrol a specific area where they were, the, one of the adjacent units was having a, a big operation where they were trying to flush out some insurgent activity, um, in the city and, um, that we, you know, that we were, we were in. And so what city? Uh, Bakuba. So it's right on the edge of the Sunni Triangle, about 35 kilometers northeast of Baghdad. Really okay. diverse area. A um, lot of activity, uh, you know, close to the the yellow line, the Kurdish area. So just all, all kinds of influences there. So it was it was a pretty hot area um, when when I was there, um, evidenced, you know, by by what happened with me. And so uh, I went out with one of my squads um, again, you know, fairly routine patrol and unfortunately uh, drove into an ambush and uh, was, you know, on the, the wrong end of one of the rocket propelled grenades that uh, came through. My Humvee uh, hit me in the shoulder, um, hit oh me, gosh. hit another, hit, hit another soldier right in the arm as well, um, severed my arm and caused a lot of other, you know, pretty um, significant uh, and life changing injuries. Last thing I remember um, from that night, well, it was technically the morning, um, but I think it was around three in the morning. Um, so it was dark, but I, I remember things were just eerily quiet and all of a sudden, you know, just with one flash, you know, my life changed. And the last thing I remember was being the feeling of being airlifted up in, into the air thinking, you know, is this it? Like, you know, is my life over? And, uh, luckily it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so obviously your, your tour of duty was over at that point. This was back in 2004, right? 2004. Yeah. Um, how much recovery time did you have? So when I, I got to Walter Reed about Walter Reed Army Medical Center in DC about um, probably a week after I got injured. So again, that that whole process of getting you, you know, off the front lines to the combat support hospital, to Landstuhl, Germany, yeah. you know, to Walter Reed, uh, you know, one of the largest military treatment facilities, impeccable, flawless, like nothing we've ever seen in our lifetimes in terms of medical care. And so luckily got there very quickly. Um, Is I that was the first a, time that you remember anything from the f like the helicopter and then Walter Reed? Yep. So wow. remember the helicopter. And then about two weeks later, remember waking up from a coma. Um, and so it, you know, so I was, it, it took me about a week to get back. And then I was in a coma for about another week as things were pretty touch and go with me. Um, and then the first thing I remember, you know, as they started to wake me up, lowered the sedation meds was seeing my dad, which was sort of weird because I was still in that moment where I had left. I was still in Iraq. I was still lying on the dirt thinking, you know, that my soldiers were, I remember them looking over me. And I remember the looks on their faces, so I knew I was pretty messed up, but that's sort of the moment I was in, and I was like, how the hell did my dad get to Iraq? You know, like, <laughs> leave it to my parents. And so um, so that was, that was kind of the moment I remember, um, but it was also the moment where, you know, I, I was still, I, I knew my arm had been severely damaged. Mm -hmm. I did not know that it had been severed. And so I remember looking at my dad, and I remember thinking, you know, just just don't, don't let him take my arm, dad. Don't let him take my arm. And, you know, he had to look at me and he's like, you know, he, so I, I remember he looked at me, I looked over and I saw a white bandage where my arm used to be. And I was just like, wow, I thought my life was over. Yeah. Um, obviously like you, like you're, like you kind of alluded to, uh, obviously a dark day or two, uh, in, in recovery. And, and that's, that's a lot, a lot of place that our, our brothers and sisters sometimes stay, unfortunately. How did you come out of that? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, it, it definitely, a couple dark days. Um, you know, I, I feel like I was very lucky to have a lot of support around me early. Um, but still, I mean, I think it's it's a process that we all kind of have to go through on our own in some, in some way, shape or form, even if you have people around you. Um, and I remember at the beginning, it was really hard. I, I you know, I had a lot of, I, I didn't want to believe that it happened. So I, I actually, I mean, it's crazy thinking back and, and I'm a little embarrassed to share this, but I remember telling my mom, just cover up the the mirrors in the, in the bathroom, in the, in the hospital room. Uh, cause I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to acknowledge it. And I think it's, you know, it's probably part of the grieving process, right? Like I didn't want to accept that that happened. Um, but slowly, but surely, you know, I had to, to get out of bed and, um, I, I actually kind of had to learn to walk again, believe it or not. It took, it t- took me a little while before I was kind of, um, able to get up. I had still, um, a lot of, you know, wounds that I was sort of nursing a lot of broken bones. I had, you know, my lungs had collapsed. I had a chest tube in. So, you know, it, it was definitely a, a new reality. Um, um, but I think that for me, the turning point was really when I finally got out of my hospital room and started to kind of make my way to other parts of the hospital where I ran into some of these other wounded warriors. And there was one specific moment where I somehow mentally flipped that switch. It was a moment in a, in a person. I actually uh, w- went down to the PT clinic for the first time. Now, this is like the clinic at Walter Reed at the time where, you know, all the wounded warriors are going, missing limbs, burns, missing eyes, you know, just all kinds of crazy injuries. Yeah. Um, and I actually, you know, you know, I'd been sitting up there in my room feeling sorry for myself, but I got to see uh, this staff sergeant. He was a staff sergeant at the time get up on, he was missing both legs. He had some facial burns and his family was there. And I got to see him get up on his legs, his prosthetic legs for the first time and take a step. And that was really powerful. It was like, wow, like he's doing this, you know, and you could tell it was a struggle. I mean, it was, it was hard for him and his family was cheering him on. His kids were there. So, you know, I I was like, wow, like it was very inspiring and it really just helped me understand, well, A, there's a lot, you know, a lot of these warriors are worse off than I am and they're out here doing it. And I didn't want to let them down, you know? And so it really became this kind of, you know, band of brothers, band of sisters mentality of like, Hey, we're in this together. Um, and you know, they were very encouraging and very inspiring, but yeah, that was really the moment where I'm like, all right, I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. If he can do it, I can do it. The good news was, is we could, you know, we, we were working through things together in, in many cases. And there were, there were a few, um, female wounded warriors, which, which was, was interesting. There weren't too many women who, you know, particularly amputees. Sure. Um, and so, so we kind of, we kind of band together a little bit. Um, and you know, it was, it was great. Uh, in fact, um, Melissa Stockwell was one of the first people I met. She's, uh, she's now a Paralympic athlete and uh, wow. bronze medal winner. Um, from the most recent games. I mean, just, you know, these women have gone on to do amazing things. We were all injured right around the same time, but it's just, it's been this bond that we've had, you know, we helped each other out at, at the hospital, you know, Tammy Duckworth was, was there, Senator Duckworth now. Um, I mean, you know, just they were inspiring, they were supportive. Um, you know, you get to know their families. Um, and you know, we were all just kind of able to to help each other out. Um, Danielle Green, uh, who actually works for the VA, mm-hmm. um, Notre Dame basketball player, you know, so her and I had a lot in common. I mean, just, you know, a, a great group of people. And, you know, it really, I think, you know, is, is you know, that sort of warrior spirit um, is what helped us, I think, all pull together and, and be able to move on. How long were you at Walter Reed? I was at Walter Reed for about 10 months. Not not inpatient the whole time. I was inpatient for a couple months and then I was living at the uh, Fisher House there. 
Very good. Very good. Um, now, what what year were you discharged? So I got discharged in 2005. So just about a year after I got injured. Um, you're an entrepreneur now, uh, but that isn't where you started your civilian career. You you interned as a military liaison to the House Armed Services Committee, where you advised the chair on DOD legislation, military health, and veterans issues. Um, being a liaison for the for the chair of the Armed Services Committee, how does an opportunity like that come about? <laughs> <laughs> that's well, not that's not a normal I feel, thing. Like yeah, to, I, f- I feel like my my bio may be a, a little bit inflated on that. No, I, and when we say advising, you know, I, I got to sit in the room. No, but sure. it, actually, it was kind of interesting. Um, I was in the hospital recovering at Walter Reed, and one of the con- you know members of Congress, uh, Duncan Hunter at the time, who was chair of the Armed Services Committee, came into my hospital room, and you know he was making the rounds and you know shaking hands and thanking us for our service, uh, you know, for our sacrifices. And so he came in, and he's like, well you know, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, well, Hey, you know, come down to my office a few days a week and we'll put you to work. You know, he's kind of joking. And and I was like, Oh, that sounds interesting. So I took him up on it. I was like, I'm not just going to sit around. And uh, so was he I, surprised that you took him up on it? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> that's I don't awesome. know. Uh, you know, but he, he put me to work. That's for sure. So, you know, I can't, he started going down to the Hill a few days a week, but, but when he was chairman, it was interesting. I, I had done a stint in Korea and when, um, there, there were some issues that he was dealing with, that the DOD was dealing with, that related to some, you know, behavior and things that were happening over in Korea at the time that were were not good, sure. weren't, weren't weren't healthy for our, our service members, and so there were co- some committee hearings about that. And so I actually knew firsthand what they were talking about, the issues they were dealing with. So that's just kind of an example. I was able to to, to provide some insights, you know, to you know to, to these members on some of these key issues. So, but that was really the extent of it. I used to record those hearings uh, back. Oh man, probably 10 years ago now, uh, both armed services committee hearings, both the Senate and the house, uh, whenever the commandant or, or the assistant commandant of the Sergeant Major Marine Corps would testify. And, you know, to your point, you know, if you pay attention to those hearings, you learn so much about the DOD, uh, you know, capacity, budgets, manpower, equipment, and, and you get to learn both the priorities, both of the DOD and of Congress. And sometimes they don't always line up. Um, you know, I got my own memories of that time and some of those hearings uh, without naming any names or parties, because this is a government podcast and we are apolitical. You got a story? Do I have a story? Yeah, is there something that you witnessed? You're like, huh. Um, I mean, I just, you know, I remember, I mean, the only thing I can say is I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I have any great stories. I just, I remember uh, you know, four-star generals going in and out just on a recurring basis. And for, for a young captain, you know, I'm sitting over in the cube in a corner, you know, basically just trying to keep my mouth shut and not embarrass anybody, you know, <laughs> responding to, to, to letters, letters from constituents. And, um, mm. so, you know, you're like dealing with this and then you see these four-star generals kind of walking in and out and, and sometimes, you know, it would get a little animated in the office. You know, I never really knew exactly what was going on, but I do remember there were, there were a lot of issues, you know, they, they were, I mean, these were really pertinent issues. We were at war. I mean, they're looking at Kevlar's, you know, they're, they're really, you know, there were a lot of things that I think he was very passionate about. And like you said, you know, Congress, the services, um, you know, they, they don't always agree on what the priorities are. And so I think it got, you know, it was a tense time, but you know, you, you'd hear some yelling, uh, from time to time, but yeah, I remember that, you know, they were, they were trying to figure out, Hey, how do we get more protective equipment downrange? How do we, how do we take, you know, better care of our military, our veterans? So, so those were all like the, the topics du jour kind of when I was there. So I didn't really 
really get to see um, anything crazy, but I definitely, you know, overheard, you know, some some shouting, some, some choice, some that you choice norm- words, some choice words that you normally wouldn't hear as a captain exactly. or, or as a staff sergeant, and 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 you know, if you were somewhere else, uh, very good. Um, you then became a consultant for for DARPA. Uh, for those that know that don't know the acronym Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Um, as a child of the '90s, uh, I played Metal Gear Solid, and that's that's probably how I knew the acronym. Uh, you had to rescue the DARPA chief, anyways. Um, how did you go from military liaison at the House Armed Services Committee to DARPA? Were you were you with a contractor? Yeah, so so I did my you know kind of a very informal internship on the Hill, and. Um, as you know, I was getting ready to, you know, sort of finally, you know, go through my medical retirement, um, and get all that squared away. Uh, you know, it it was, it was great being on the Hill, but I sort of equated to, okay, I need a real job now. Um, I actually really enjoyed my time. I learned a lot, but I also learned that I really wanted, you know, I had no patience for politics. Um, and so, you know, I said, okay, well, I need, I need a real job. And actually while I was recovering at the hospital, um, another gentleman that I had met, he's a retired, well, excuse me, he's retired now. He was an army colonel, MD, PhD, a brilliant guy. And he's a program manager at DARPA. And so he came through, through the hospital and he was talking to, you know, some of the wounded warriors, myself included, kind of trying to glean some insights as to, Hey, how can DARPA support this mission? What do you, you know, what are some of the things you guys need downrange? And so him and I kind of hit it off and we started, talking and eventually he came back around. He was starting some programs and he wanted me to be involved in them. And it was a a real job that, you know, could afford me the ability to, you know, to live in DC and all of that. Um, so I said, you know, sure, why not? So I, uh, I, I went to work for him at DARPA as, as an independent contractor. So I just, which is kind of how I started my business. I mean, I had to set up, a an entity. Um, so, you know, I was this young, naive captain thought I could, you know, oh, sure. I can, I can, I can start a business. No problem. So I'm just like, (laughs) I had no clue what I was doing, jumping through all these hoops, you know, getting registered so I could do business with the government and really just, you know, so I could work, work for him, which is what I wanted to do at DARPA. So you became an independent contractor for one person. So for, for someone from DARPA, I mean, that's quite a client. That's quite, that's quite a first client. I mean, when, when, when someone from DARPA, was he, was he a GS worker? Was he a, was he, was he a So he was active duty military. He was active duty military. Yeah. So he was active duty military. He was a program manager there. So DARPA is really kind of a shell organization. I mean, they have very few government employees. Yeah. They all run, you know, the offices and then they run the, you know, the programs and then they have contractors supporting them. Um, but I didn't. It's like the premier advanced research. Oh, absolutely. You know, in the government. So that's got, that had to have been exciting. It's like, Hey, can you, can you, can you give me a hand? Let's. It was very, yeah, it was very exciting. And I, I think I didn't even fully appreciate how exciting it was. I remember walking in on the first day and, um, at the time you think this, so this was back in 2005, late 2005, early 2006. And one of the big programs that they had was unmanned aerial vehicles, okay. you know, what we now know is, you know, UAS. Right. And yeah. so to think that that wasn't even a thing yet. And DARPA was in the early stages of developing this. Um, and now, you know, they're ubiquitous. They're, they're fielded. They're part of our, you know, part of our, our force, you know, a huge part of our force. And so the air force so has was, like, uh, you know, squadrons that are just dedicated to UAVs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so DARPA just, you know, it's fascinating the things you learn about while you're there. Um, and, and yeah, so I was, I was definitely excited and it was, a great opportunity. So other than UAVs, what was the, probably the coolest unclassed thing you can talk about that was like, yeah, I saw that in its advanced research phase. 
Um, one, one of the things that was pretty cool that they were working on while I was there was this, um, and, and I think they're using them to a certain extent, is these, are these exoskeletons that basically yeah. kind of turn a person into a machine with superhuman powers and strength. And, you know, you can, you can lift a lot, you can carry a lot, you can run fast, you can jump high. And, and so those were pretty cool. They were called exoskeletons and, and they were working on them. And you, um, and you were seeing them before the viral YouTube videos of them. Yes. Yes. Very early on. Very cool. How did you clue, how did you close your career with DARPA and end up being a, a, a business, an entrepreneur with, you got over 600 people working for you right now. How did that transition occur? So I actually, I stayed at DARPA and in a matter of fact, DARPA is still a client. Sure. Um, and so I, I really, um, was very focused the first few years on supporting Colonel Ling was his name. Um, and we did a lot of great things together. He did a lot of, you know, had a lot of great programs. I mean, he was the visionary and, you know, there were, there were a few other folks working for him. Um, and we all just worked together on these projects, but eventually, uh, you know, I, it really afforded me the opportunity to get networked and to understand and learn, you know, sort of federal acquisition and how it works and, um, budgets and, and, you know, procurement and all yeah. of that. And so really Technical gave me a, and contract bidding. And exactly. It, it really gave me some insights to how, how it works. And in the position I was in, I had a lot of networking opportunities and ended up, you know, having other people, you know, not just Colonel Ling who were saying, Hey, can you help me with this project or with that project? And so really what happened was just very word of mouth, pretty much unintentional. I, I started to bring more projects on and more work in. And so I, I needed people to help me do it. So I, you know, would, would reach out to my network and, um, you know, would, would, would hire somebody on as I brought in more work. And so it just grew very slowly and organically. Mm. And then one day I kind of woke up and realized like, wait a minute, I think I have something here, you know, maybe I could grow this, maybe it could become bigger. But really, I think the realization for me was like, there's a lot of interesting work to be done. Um, there are a lot of hard problems that we need to solve. And, but even more so, there's a lot of really smart people, um, that want to work on this stuff and are passionate about the mission. And those were people I wanted to work with. And that really goes back to, I think, my time in service of, you know, really not wanting that to end. I really wanted to stay connected to the mission. That was just kind of what I knew. It was my sure. sense of purpose. And I realized like there were a lot of other, you know, uh, retiring military or, you know, wounded warriors that were, were getting out, you know, careers were cut short and, or people just, you know, they, they, you know, they couldn't handle all the deployments. It was too hard on their families. They decided to get out of the military. So those were the people I wanted to hire. I wanted to bring people together to solve some of these problems uh, or, you know, try to, try to, you know, help overcome challenges. And so that's really, um, you know, kind of when I turned the corner a few years in and said, Hey, there's something bigger here. And I think we can, you know, I think we can do more. Um, And so that, that's when I really started focusing on being transitioning to be more the CEO of the company um, versus just, you know, a consultant working on projects. Very good. How, how many out of the, out of the 600 or so employees that you have, how many are veterans? We've got about just over 30% veteran wow. at the company. Yeah. So which, which for us in the line of work that we're doing, you know, we do a lot of, um, you know, just pretty complex, sophisticated technology work. And, you know, it's not necessarily a field that aligns back to a specific MOS in the military. I mean, certainly there are a lot of gifted technical people in the military. So, um, you know, we really work hard to, uh, to try to hit that number and hire as many vets as we can. So wounded in 2004, and then founding your own company in 2006, that's some, that's some boom, boom, shaking and baking, you know? Um, but the, but the 2006 was actually just doing the independent contractor work. That was kind of like the start of it. When did the growth kind of spurt? When was it like, Hey, I think I got something. What, what year was that? 
So right, really about two years in, um, when I had transitioned over to the CEO role right around 2008, um, we had a company approach us uh, saying, hey, we have a couple you know, contracts that we're looking at and we'd like your company you know, to, to bid with us. And in fact, as like, a, as like a subcontractor, well, initially it started out as a subcontracting relationship, but then one of the opportunities came out and it was going to be a, a service disabled veteran owned set aside opportunity. And so they said, Hey, we, we want you guys to, to prime it, you know, priming, uh, being, you know, being the main, the main company, uh, and, you know, we'll support you and we're familiar with this work. And it was, it was a pretty large contract for us. It was a $20 million prime contract with U S army recruiting command. And, you know, we, we were absolutely, um, thrilled at the opportunity and we said, yeah, let's do it. And we ended up winning it. And that's what really kind of put the company on the map and really required us to kind of quickly start building out our infrastructure. Very good. Very good. Uh, Hoffaker and Associates, uh, it's a, it's a professional services and technology solutions firm. You know, does that mean you find the right tech for the, for the, for the customer's problem? It, it does. I mean, I, I think ultimately, you know, what we're really trying to do is, you know, leverage, you know, the the technology, you know, kind of best practices and expertise that we have um, to, you know, solve problems. Um, and so we really look at, you know, we look at the mission, we look at the opportunity, we look at the customer. And so we make sure that, you know, we have that subject matter expertise, but, you, you know, even more so we can back that up with the right kind of technology solution. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's a solution. Sometimes it's, you know, some, some expert people to, you know, do, do Training. cyber work or, you know, what, whatever the case may be, um, really across the, the spectrum of technology. Um, I was going to say, are we talking IT security, cloud management, logistics software, all the above? So a little, all the above. I mean, the, the core areas that we really focus on are, you know, kind of application development, you know, which, 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 which which these days, you know, really is becoming, you know, the government shifting to, um, you know, they, they don't want to own a lot of technology and they're smart. They want to be more efficient. They want to use SaaS. Um, and so they, they don't want to own it. And so what we do in many cases now, um, is we are going out and finding, you know, sort of the the cutting edge technology, bringing it into the government um, and providing those solutions. So it ends up being more technology integration is a lot of what we've been doing lately. Um, and, you know, w- with that, you know, anytime you're bringing in technology, you know, usually you have, you know, it's hosted in a cloud, it needs to be secure. So we kind yeah. of bundle all those services together and, you know, create a comprehensive solution. Gotcha. Just finding the right tools, the right training for the problem at hand. Exactly. Tracking. Are all your clients and contracts, are they, are they all government, like some DOD contractors um, or are they, or are you like an Amazon or a Microsoft, just a very smaller version of those uh, where you serve other businesses in the private sector? No, we are hundred percent government. Okay. Gotcha. Very good. Um, now 600 employees, people would think that's pretty big, but it's still classified as a small business. Matter of fact, you were recommended to me by Michelle Gardner, G, otherwise known as GI, at the VA. And we were, when we were talking about breaking down the VA's office of small and disadvantaged business utilization, I had to write that down just to make sure I got Oz, <laughs> the, the acronym of what OSDABU is because you know the Beltway loves its, its acronyms. Uh, and, and she talks you up and and they talk about you and, and, and Half Acre and Associates as a huge success story for, for OSDABU. Um, weren't you re, were you recently recognized by them as like a, a best – performing veteran owned small business in the area or something like that? I don't, I don't know. I have a hard time. Ke- <laughs> I have a hard time keeping up with GI because um, she's okay. doing so many great things. But, but I know that, you know, Ozdabu right now is very, fo- <clears throat> excuse me, very focused on trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we continue 
to attract, you know, not only veteran entrepreneurs, but women veteran entrepreneurs mm-hmm. into the space, particularly at VA? How do we support, you know, women owned businesses? Uh, so we've we've sort of come together on that. And I think, you know, we're we're you know, my company is very, very lucky to be, you know, able to, to support VA and it's, uh, you know, mission, um, which is kind of, you know, my personal passion. Um, but I think it's also important that, you know, we continue to hopefully inspire other entrepreneurs as well who want to come into that space and make sure that they have, you know, ample opportunity to, to be successful. I was wondering, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, what has that office done for you personally? Sure. Yeah. So, so when I was, to be honest, when I was first starting out, you know, I relied heavily on the Ostaboos, um, uh, you know, each agency has an office of small business um, programs. Uh, you know, they they are there to promote, uh, to support um, small businesses coming into the space and into the the supply chain. Um, and small businesses, as you know, are critical not only to the nation but to our federal government. Every every department has that. So, like VA, DOD, Correct. agriculture. Yep. Okay, so I yep. thought that I thought that was just a one thing that was like for veterans. VA. No. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, so this is, this is, uh, definitely a, a government wide initiative, but obviously, you know, VA has, uh, you know, sort of a unique piece in that mission in that they, um, you know, they have the rule of two where they're very focused on ensuring that they're bringing, you know, veteran owned businesses, service disabled veteran owned businesses interesting, and woman owned businesses, you know, kind of into their, uh, vendor community, uh, to really ensure that they can provide, they can leverage those companies to, you know, to get the, the services and, you know, everything they need to serve our veterans. So if you're, if you're a veteran owned small business, um, you know how do you, how do you take advantage of the of the Ozdaboos at the at each department each department in the government right yeah so so coming into an Ozdabu really what you have an opportunity to do as a business is learn the agency so if you're interested let's say in VA uh, you come and you meet with you know a representative at the small business office and really what they can do is they can help you understand what's what what is VA buying how do they buy um, who are the big who are the other big companies that are working at VA who are the po- points of contact there how do you get involved in um, you know th- these these different programs that they offer um, you know what what are the opportunities that are coming out? What are the contract vehicles the VA uses to buy? So all these things, you know, they they really um, ensure that you have the information, the resources that you need to understand how to do business at that particular agency. If you're a private business um, and you've known and you've known nothing when it comes to uh, government, do they help you and like, hey, this is what a contract is, this is what a bid is, this is how you do that type of thing? Yeah, I think the Ozdaboos, they can help a little bit, but there's also some resources um, called PTACs, which are uh, Procurement uh, Technical Assistance Centers. And so the Ozdaboos work with those um, organizations and, and probably refer you there to get some kind of 101 gotcha. training and things like that. Every now and then an Ozdaboo will do some training, but really I think they rely more on, you know, the SBA has resources for that, uh, the, the PTACs. Um, and so those were all resources that I used when I was starting my business. And, and yeah. a lot of that, again, the Ozdaboos are a wealth of information. So when you go in, uh, they're able to refer you out to other organizations that can help you. They're going to point you in the right direction. Exactly. Gotcha. Tracking. Um, talking VA, uh, you are also the Secretary of Veteran Affairs Committee for OAF and OAF Soldiers and Families. Uh, was that a full-time role? Was that a part-time role? Yeah. So so this board was stood up um, probably back in 2006. I want to make sure I get my dates right. 2005, 2006 timeframe. So at the same time you're starting your company. About the same time. 
about the same time under uh, Secretary Nicholson. A little side work. A little side work. <laughs> well, yeah, and and so so the 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 advisory board was you know it, it was not full time at all, um, you know, and and it was you know one of many advisory boards at the VA, but this one in particular I think was interesting because it really um, we had some great leadership. Um, you know, Secretary Nicholson commissioned this, and actually um, I, I met him uh, at an event, and he was standing up this advisory board, and we met very very briefly, but he looked at me and he's like, I want you on my advisory board. Um, and so he threw my name in kind of last minute and, and ended up, you know, I ended up, you know, get, getting on this, this advisory board, but it really, um, a lot of times, you know, you hear about these advisory boards and you kind of just assume they're these reports that get generated that nobody reads and, you know, all yeah. that, but this, this board was a little bit different and it was a very active board. General, um, Barno was, uh, the chair and, and he, I think really did an outstanding job at, you know, ensuring that this wasn't going to be one of those advisory boards. And so we ended up um, getting to travel around the country, really get to know the VA kind of inside and out and really looking at it from the perspective of, okay, you know, we have this influx of OIF and OEF, you know, veterans coming back, you know, they're injured, they're going through the military health system. Okay. What do we need to do as VA to, you know, be able to support them? And, Mm. you know, the VA wasn't ready. I don't think that's any secret. I don't think that was a secret Um, at all. I think it's easily, it's fair to say that, you know, And, you know, and the VA knew it. Right. And and so I think that's why, you know, the advisory board really had an opportunity to say, hey, here's, you know, here's what we need to Here's what we need to improve. Here's what we need to do. Here's the gaps and make some of those kinds of recommendations. So you were there right when the VA realized, oh, (laughs) we need help. Uh, You know, I mean, that's a very that's a very pivotal time. I mean. Right. I mean, you were there right when everyone really started coming back, you know, and, and needed the services. What were some of the things that you guys found? So some of the big things I think that that, that we found um, was really, I think, the, the need for just more coordination across the VA. Right. So we had veterans coming back and they were getting kind of lost in the system. You yeah. know, there's different entry points as to, as you know, as to how veterans, you know, sort of seek out the VA or find out about the VA or, you know, where they are in their transition. And so as they come into the VA system, really, ha- you know, it, it was clear that there were some gaps in terms of, you know, the VA has all these amazing resources, but they weren't getting to the veterans necessarily. And so veterans were coming back and just, you know, sort of getting lost in the system a little bit. And so I think that that VA, for example, you know, stood up the veteran experience office, right? And and things like that. So the VA was really getting in tune with, okay, how, where are these gaps and how do we fix them? And so I think that, um, you know, they, they did that. Another huge thing that the VA did was they stood up the women's clinics. And so I actually remember going into the DCVA and there were, there was, I don't even remember if there was a female restroom. I think there was, but it was like, there was only one wow. and it was like one bathroom that they had set aside and made into like a woman's bathroom. And, you know, that was the extent of support for our women veterans. And, you know, we, we were coming back and all of a sudden it was like, oh, like our population isn't just males. And so yeah. they really... I think the VA did a great job, you know, figuring that out like reasonably quickly and then starting to kind of retrofit their hospitals and their clinics to accommodate women veterans and and really set aside a specific area where, you know, we can go in and kind of get, you know, the services that, that we're required to get. And now there's even a center for women's veterans here at, at the VA. That Was that a thing when you were there? That wasn't a thing when I, wow. not when I was first there, but that was some that, you know, that was one of the big 
recommendations um, that that came through and, and the VA, you know, really picked up and ran with it. You know, we also see things like like caregiver support and, you know, just all, all these, uh, you know, you know, different initiatives. I think the VA is recognizing as we look at, you know, we look at veterans, we, we look at these, you know, kind of the next generation of veterans and what, what do we look like? What do our families look like? And, and how, how do, how can the VA sort of uh, evolve to, to support uh, and provide care? Very good. Um, like I said, you've served on many boards. Uh, I think I counted six in your bio, uh, most notably uh, chairwoman of the board for Wounded Warrior Project uh, and as a member of the USO Board of Governors. How does someone become a nonprofit board member? Uh, <laughs> you know, that's it, a good question. Is it, is, I it don't like, know. is it like you get on one and they see that you yeah, do I good feel work? Like, yeah, you get you get on the circuit, as they say. Um, yeah, no, I actually. Um, it, it, uh, do you want me to tell the quick story about Wounded Warrior Project? Sure. So this, this is how I got on the Wounded Warrior board, and I, I think it was probably the first board I was on. And um, you know, not not that I'm a prolific board member by any means, but I, I as you pointed out, I'm on and, a couple. But and at this point, I was probably just very young too. Very young, yeah. very young. And so it was yeah, it was kind of questionable their judgment to to bring somebody <laughs> like me on. However, this is interesting. This is kind of a good story. So they, uh, you know, Wounded Warrior was a fairly new organization, and initially what what they were doing was um, they were they were bringing backpacks into the hospitals um, and passing them out. And, and these backpacks had sort of your everyday items in them. So if you can imagine you come off the battlefield, you you have nothing. I mean, you, you you're medevaced in, you know, a, a hospital gown. All of your belongings are left behind. You don't have a toothbrush. You don't, you have wow. nothing. Right. And so what they recognize is these service members were, were then, you know, we're stuck at Walter Reed and like, you don't have clean underwear, you know? Um, and so they started filling these backpacks with kind of like your everyday comfort items, underwear, like, you know, socks, like just basic stuff, right. Toiletries, toothpaste, yeah. toothpaste hair, hairbrush. Right. However, um, you know, the organization, as you may or may not know, was started by um, a couple gentlemen, uh, one of which who's a Marine, right? Men, males. And so when I got my backpack, you know, they were they were awesome. They came to my room, they gave me my backpack and it was like it had like men's underwear in it. It had all stuff for men. And so I literally look at them and I was just kind of like, this is really nice guys. They're like, what the hell am I going to do with this? Um, No. And they were great sports about it. They laughed and we laughed and we had a laugh and they're like, hey, well, like, you're right. Like we need, we need your help. Can you, you know, can you come join us? Can you help us? And and so I ended up joining their board. You know, they were, they were smaller all at the over, time. All over men's underwear. All over men's underwear. Yeah. And so that's, that's how you join boards. You just, you know, it's men's underwear. Very good. Very good. Um, are those, are those like full-time or part-time gigs? What, what, what is I would that? say they're very part-time, you know, these boards yeah. usually meet quarterly, um, you know, and there's some things that, that are, you know, that are done in between, you know, if you're on a committee. Um, but, yeah, it's it's uh, I mean, some of them can be more work than others, but uh, it's, you know, quite frankly, for me, it's a lot of fun. You know, you get sure. to be a part of these different unique missions that are supporting, you know, veterans, military. And it's just, you know, it's really fulfilling. So it, it doesn't feel like work. Very good. Very good. Um, what, what's one thing that you've learned in your military that you apply to what you do today? I think the biggest thing that that I kind of brought from the military um is is really you know the, the the military is an amazing institution because it's so diverse. I mean, you have the the best cross section of our country, and even you know um, you know you you get to interact with a lot of foreign uh, militaries as well. But you get this cross section of people from all different walks of life, and you know you have one mission, and you somehow you know as a leader in the military, you got to get everybody 
on the same page to perform that mission and failure is not an option. And so I think that that mentality of, you know, being able to kind of play the hand you're dealt and inspire people, bring them together in, in, you know, train them, um, and, and, you know, and be trained, right. And really just work as a part of a, a team that's extremely diverse, um, to accomplish something like there's just nothing better than that. And that's really what I do in my job every day is, you know, try to try to find really interesting, smart, talented people that have the same mindset and the same vision of, hey, I want to I want to serve. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And, you know, I want to work towards something and work with a team to accomplish it. And that's that's really what what you know, what I get to do every day. And it's probably the, the best thing about my job is just all the cool people I get to work with. Outstanding. Don, we've covered a lot of ground, um, kind of gone everywhere in your whole career a little bit. Is there anything that I've missed or I haven't asked that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think I'll just leave with the fact that, you know, the, the thing that that I've come to realize, um, you know, being involved, we talked about some of the nonprofit work that I've, you know, been privileged to be a part of, you know, being able to support the VA, my, you know, my business supports the VA, um, you know, the military as well, is just how many resources there are out there for veterans and, and how many people care. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of talk about civil military divide and things like that, but, you know, there's, there's some really good news stories out there of, you know, everyday people, you know, VA employees, you know, whoever that, that are working really hard to support our veterans. And there's a lot of great programs out there that, you know, they can, veterans can take advantage of and, um, you know, they, they can be really helpful, whether you want to be an entrepreneur or you want to go back to school and, you know, get, get, you know, get a degree, whatever your goals are, you know, know, I think that there, there really is a support out there. So I just encourage everybody to, you know, to check it out. A lot of stuff uh, on the VA website, uh, website, va.gov. Um, and, you know, just a lot of great nonprofits out there that are, that are ready to support. And certainly uh, I, I'd love to help and support any veteran that needs it. does a very good job on the medical side. I don't know of anybody that has any complaints. My primary care doctor is probably the best doctor I've ever had in my life. He was one of my friends, good patient of mine. He only comes once a week, but I do. I enjoy him. She really comes in special. Yes, early I in the do. morning. Early in the morning. For me. That's exactly why I choose VA. Choose VA today. Visit VA.gov. I want to thank Dawn for her time and for coming on board the battle. You can read more about Dawn at halfacre.com. That's half, H-A-L-F-A-K-E-R, halfacre.com, forward slash halfacre, forward slash Dawn hyphen halfacre. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, a veteran is highlighted by our digital team with a blog on blogs.va.gov and with a post on all of our social media platforms. You can submit your own Veteran of the Day by sending a short write-up and a couple of photos to newmedia at va.gov and just let them know that uh, you want them as the Veteran of the Day. Centra C.C. Mazik grew up in a military family. Her mother, Uncles and brother all served in the military. She was born in Charleston, South Carolina, and she lived in New York City while her mother was stationed there. 
then moved back to St. Stephen, South Carolina, where she attended high school. It's the life of a military child, I tell you. In August of 1994, she attended basic training at Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina. There, she completed training as a human resource manager. In 1997, Mazik transitioned into active duty with the 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. She achieved the rank of Sergeant First Class within her first two enlistments within eight years. E7, pretty impressive. While jumping out of the C-130, she and another jumper became entangled in their parachutes at a high altitude and were unable to weave out in time. Upon landing, she burst her L1 and L2 vertebrae, becoming paralyzed from the waist down. After undergoing rehabilitation and physical therapy, she was released from the hospital in 2004. Mazik moved back to Columbia and returned to school. She graduated in 2010 with a sociology degree from the University of South Carolina. Mazik is also a Paralympian. In 2005, she competed in the first National Veterans Wheelchair Games. Later, after intense training, after intense training, she competed in the javelin competition at the 2012 Paralympic Games in London. In 2013, she earned a bronze medal at the IPC Athletic World Championships in France. Mazik now shares her inspiring story around the world as a motivational speaker. She is also an ambassador for the Disabled American Veterans and earned the DAV Freedom Award. Army veteran Centra C.C. Mazik. Thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app, not a phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, we got the Pinterest. DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening. Please tell all your veteran friends that this is a thing, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Firefight bullets fly day and night brain. Simplify till we die another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Point, click, pull the trigger to the tune of falling brass. Bits in a purple heart and a rush